This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, you guys, and welcome to another episode of Infertile Millennial. Today is episode 10. But before we get started, I wanted to quickly share that my shop is officially live. You can now shop Infertile Millennial, where we have gifts for those struggling with infertility, pregnancy loss, or those who are going through fertility treatments. This will allow you to show your support, send a little sunshine their way, or offer your encouragement on their fertility journey. You can shop Infertile Millennial by going to www.infertilemillennial.com shop. Today we have special guest Tammy who decided to join the Brave Babes Club and share her journey. And her journey is quite incredible. She has been on this journey for 10 years. She has done multiple IUIs, timed intercourse, and multiple IVF rounds. Tammy's going to be sharing her incredible 10-year journey with us today, along with speaking about the adoption process, which I think is incredibly important because a lot of people assume that you can, that adoption is just as easy as snapping your fingers and the stork delivers a baby to your door. And that is not the case. So I love that Tammy is going to share her experience with the adoption process. And that is why I highly recommend that this episode should be listened to by anybody out there, whether you are struggling with infertility or not, to help you get an understanding of how difficult it is to try to get a child, whether you're doing it via fertility treatments or adoption. I think this episode is going to be extremely educational for all of you out there listening. So without any further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Tammy. So thank you so much for coming on and taking some time out of your day to speak with me. I feel like any part of your story is going to be helpful to somebody somewhere out there. Hopefully some part of it resonates with someone. I think it's important to speak on this. And um, even just from what I read, I thought your story was just really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about you and your husband, where you guys are from? How'd you meet? Sure. Um, so we're both, my husband and I are both are from Canada and we grew up both, um, well, I grew up in a city called Mississauga and he grew up in Toronto. Um, but now when we got married, um, we moved to a little town just outside, 40 minutes outside of, uh, of Toronto, I would say. And, uh, we met when we were, um, in college and university. So we were like 19, 20, <laughs> quite young. Um, yeah, so we met uh, around then and we've known each other for 19 years and we've been married for 12. Wow. Okay, nice. When exactly did you get married and then how soon after that did you start trying? So we got married in 2009 and we waited about a little bit over a year and a half after we got married to try to have a family. Um, I was on birth control. I was on birth control for a few years. So I stopped taking birth control um, in 2010 after we celebrated our one year anniversary. Um, And then we're just like, okay, let's just see what happens. And we took it from there. And then unfortunately, a year after trying, we weren't successful. So did you tell anyone from the beginning that you were trying to conceive? Because I actually had a question come in a few weeks ago and it was somebody asking, would you recommend 
telling anyone that you're trying to conceive in the beginning or would you keep it a secret? So did you tell anybody before? Yeah, so we didn't say much to a lot of people, to be honest with you, because we didn't really... We just didn't really want to tell everyone that we were trying because as soon as you get married, everyone's always asking like, so are you guys trying for kids and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, but no, but it's like you kind of feel pressured in a way. So the only people that we kind of told was our family members um, and close, like very, very close friends. We we told them, Um, but that was it. But I would suggest that if you've been trying for a year and it hasn't been successful, looking back at it, I'm happy that I told my family and friends, like my close um, friends and my family members, because they were my support system. And I was happy the fact that I could lean on them if needed when we started going through our journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, So when did you decide to seek help or advice from a doctor? Was it around that year mark? Yeah, so it was roughly after in 2010, when we when I stopped taking the birth control, and we then waited a year of trying. So that brought us to 2011. So I went to go see my family doctor. And I said to him, I said, Listen, we've been trying for a year, we haven't been successful. Um, I would like to either see an OBGY doctor or either see a fertility specialist because we're both quite young. Um, at the time we were 20, I was 26. My husband, no, I was 27. My husband was 28. So we're, we were still quite young. And uh, so my family doctor turned to me and said, Oh no, you guys are still young. Just wait a little bit. And I was like, in my gut, I was like, but no, like, like it shouldn't be, like I'm asking, do you know what I mean? So I felt yeah. That was the frustrating part for me was that I felt like I wasn't being heard. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Like you're the professional. I'll give it another six months and wait. So we, I waited another six months as of us trying no success. I went back. And then that time I demanded, um, I said, no, like I really need to see either an OBGY or if you can refer me to a, to a fertility clinic because like we want help because it ha- we have successful now and it's been a little bit of a while. Um, and that's when he decided yeah you know right you're true like what you're saying is true you should be able to seek help and I regardless of your age and I said well that's the thing like regardless of our age that shouldn't be what you're factoring in right exactly I totally agree with you I feel like that is really common Uh, everyone I talk to it seems like they always sort of get brushed off or like brushed aside like oh you're fine there's nothing wrong you're young or you know and it that's really frustrating because if you've been trying for a year that seems to me to be like the natural mark of where you should go get checked you know just and who and what what would it hurt anyway if you get tested and everything's fine like it doesn't hurt to go you know just make sure everything's fine but when you have that gut feeling inside of you it's like I think you should always listen to that. If you feel like there's something wrong going on, always go with your gut and try to find someone who will listen to you. But that's so frustrating that even after a year, they aren't taking you seriously. You know, that was that was my frustrating part. And I completely agree with you. Like anyone, like listen to your gut. Like we, you know your body. And if you feel truly in your heart, this is not, something's not right, just push, advocate for yourself. Right. Yeah, definitely always advocate for yourself. And unfortunately, that's you have to do that with these types of things. So when they sent you to a fertility clinic, what sort of testing was done on either of you? Did you both go at the same time or did you go first or he go first? Uh, So when we went to the fertility clinic, uh, they wanted us both to be tested. 
So my husband did a sperm analysis. And so everything came back for him normal. But the doctor said the only thing was that his sperm count wasn't like consistent. So some months it would be high, some months it would be like medium. So it wasn't consistent, but they weren't concerned or anything like that. So I was like, okay. Um, and then for myself, um, I did all the female testing. So I did, uh, the, I did my ovarian reserve, which came back to be low to medium. Um, but it kind of sat closer to medium as opposed to low, they told me. Um, so I said, okay. Um, even then they didn't were concerned. So I wasn't concerned. Um, I also did the fallopian tube test where they do the dye to see if there's any blockage in your fallopian tubes. Um, I did a test where they, um, they see the shape of your uterus to see if there's any, any deformity or anything like that. Um, and then I also did the testing of my uterus lining just to make sure that everything looked good in that part. Everything came back normal, um, for me. And they said, oh, everything looks good. We have no concerns. So I said, okay. Um, my hormone level, I did blood work too. Hormone level was a bit off. Um, so they said that they wanted me to kind of balance that out naturally. Um, so I said, okay, that's fine. Um, but that that's pretty much what we did at the beginning when we went in, when we went to go see a fertility clinic. At that point, were they able to find an answer as to why you've not conceived yet? Or what exactly did they tell you? They could not find an answer why we couldn't conceive. They said they don't understand why they have, there's, they said they found no concerns with my husband or I, we're both very healthy. Again, we're young. Um, and they just said that there couldn't be an explanation they can give us to why we couldn't conceive or why we couldn't conceive naturally. So how did that make you feel? Cause I have to imagine that has to be extremely frustrating to find out that, oh, we don't know why. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. It made us both very frustrated, angry, annoyed, and disappointed because we were hoping that we would have got, gotten some answers for both of us or for, for me, I, for myself, I'll speak. I didn't feel like I, would, I was crazy. Like in my mind, I'm like, there's some, there has to be something wrong with me or there has to be something wrong with us. Like, why is this not happening? So, but the fact that they couldn't give it an answer, I was like, what? Like, but why? Like, there has to be a reason why there's, and they just couldn't do it. So it was just very disappointing. I remember leaving the clinic in tears, driving home, and I was just heartbroken. And, you know, my husband turned around, grabbed my hand, he's like, it's okay, like, we're going to get answers. Whatever it is, we're going we're gonna to find out something. And it, that's when I felt oh, like, okay, you know what, like, yeah, we'll, we'll, somehow we're going to get an answer. We're not giving up. Yeah, it was just, it was just disappointed that we couldn't get answers or even a solution of how we can get pregnant, too. Did you ever try to get a second opinion? That's a very good question. We've actually seen six different doctors. <laughs> we have seen six different doctors um, through our 10 year uh, infertility journey and all six doctors <laughs> all said the same thing. They could not understand why we couldn't conceive. And that was when we saw our last doctor and he's like, I don't understand. Like everything looks good. Your paperwork, your tests, like everything comes out fine. It's like, but there has to be something. So yeah, so six doctors all told us the same thing. I just still to this day cannot wrap my head around the whole unexplained infertility thing. You know, like there has to be something. And the fact that nobody can figure that out just blows my mind. You I and I. That's one of those <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you feel that way. I, But really, I, I, I just don't get how that is something that is still not figured out yet. How did this all um, affect your marriage? Like, especially from the beginning when you first got the answer 
of we don't know what's going on uh to be honest with you emily it it actually didn't have a negative effect on our marriage um if anything um it actually brought us a lot closer to each other um closer to like we've never been before um and just the fact that knowing that we have each other's back and that we don't blame one another for this journey that we're having to go through just brought us a lot closer the fact that we can rely on one another that we just gave each other space. So sometimes when we came back from appointments that weren't great news that we would hear, for example, on our car, like the car ride home, we would either just be in silence and just hold each other's hands. And then a few hours later, one of us would talk about it. So we respected each other to give each other the space to process the information because it's a lot, obviously, you you know, the information that they tell you at an appointment before you proceed with the procedure or whatever. Yeah, so negatively it hasn't impacted us, but positively it's, it's uplifted us and made our marriage a lot stronger. I, it's really interesting. I feel like a lot of people say that, um, which I think those who've never struggled with infertility might find shocking. They might think it would be the other way around. But I asked this question in other podcasts and it seems to be a consistent, oh, it made us closer, you know, and like we learned how to give each other space or how to communicate. It's interesting how every single person I've spoken to about this have said the same thing that it's made us closer. And I can also relate to you on the whole car ride home where that silence of there's just, we're not speaking, we're trying to process everything. I totally hear you on that. I've been there. And you just like brought up a, unlocked a memory. I'm like, oh yeah, those car rides <laughs> where you're like, hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So do you have any other tips on keeping your marriage strong through something like this? Uh, yes, actually, well, uh, what we did, um, and we made a promise to one another, was that we would continue to have um, date nights. So we would schedule in once a week, uh, we would do a date night, and we would, um, it would be a date night where we, there wouldn't be any interruptions. So we both put our phones away, and it would just be us, you know, giving each other that attention. Um, which is fine. That was, I always enjoyed those. Um, we also didn't never blamed one another. We remember to always have fun and laugh during this whole, this whole struggle and this journey. Um, we love to travel. So we'd always make sure that we would schedule traveling for us. If it was either local or leaving the country, um, again, giving each other space, um, just remember to be intimate with one another even though it may not have to be sex, but to share that intimacy with each other in a different way. Um, and sometimes not looking at sex as we're having, we're trying to have a baby. Cause sometimes I feel that it looked like it was almost like a job in a way when they would schedule yeah. you to, well, this is time to intercourse. Now you have to do so you can't have, you can't have intercourse because you need to do this procedure. And it's like, okay. Um, so just not looking at, at it and just remembering what it really means to be intimate with each other. Yeah, I like the idea, what you said about making sure you schedule a date night once a week, but also without distraction. That's really important, I think, because we're already so, um, there's so much going on through this process. And so to make sure that not only are you scheduling time, there's spending time together and then there's spending quality time together. And that's important to be mindful of scheduling that quality time together. Because then that's how things build up. And then you're like, I feel like we hung out a lot this week, but yet I don't feel like we did. Because if you're just in two separate spaces. So I like what you said about that, the, the whole quality date night versus just being around each other all the time. I like that. 
So in an earlier conversation, you spoke with me on the amount of procedures that you've tried, including six to 10 timed intercourse, eight to 10 IUIs, and three IVF rounds. Can you walk us through that whole journey? Because that's just, there's so much there and I didn't know where to start. So I thought you just take the floor with this. Yeah, sure. No, that's fine. No problem. Um, Yeah, so we started, uh, so the first, uh, so we started the fertility clinic back in 2012. um, And that is when they wanted to first try the timed intercourse. So it's where they, I do the blood test. They would see my hormone level um, and to see like when I would be off and then they would give me the call of, okay, this is the time to have intercourse for the next three days. So we did, they did that. And I was on, they prescribed me with Clomid um, at, with that um, to help. And so we tried that out and we weren't successful. So we did that for about a year. And then from 2013 to 2017, we did um, three rounds of IUI with Gonal F medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that wasn't successful. So we took a break for a couple of months, um, and then did another time, another three timed, um, intercourse, uh, then it wasn't successful. And then we, we took another break and then we tried it again, but this time we did three, uh, we tried, we did three time IUIs with Gonalef, and this is with a different doctor. So the procedure, so they wanted to try it this way. So we went with it. Um, and then again, we had no luck, so we took another break. So this is all between 2013 and 2017 of just taking breaks and trying IUI timed intercourse with a new doctor in between. And we did another, t- another round of IUI and again, it wasn't successful. So then in 2018, we saw a new doctor, mm-hmm. um, in the same fertility clinic. Um, our fertility clinic was quite large, so there was a lot of different doctors. So uh, we saw a different doctor because the doctor that we were with at that time frame from 2013 to 2017 um, left the clinic. So then we were given, they, they sent us to another doctor within the clinic. So that's when we did our first round of IVF um, with, I was on Gonal F uh, with that med and with the trigger shot as well. And so that was our first round. So we did so they retrieved, unfortunately, um, I didn't produce enough, enough follicles. So what happened was they had to cancel um, that round because they noticed that I was, I didn't have enough, or sorry, I didn't have enough to go proceed with it. So they said they don't, they didn't want to waste um, that cycle, that they wouldn't be able to retrieve enough um, follicles or mature eggs. So then I gave myself for a couple of month break just because of the amount of hormones I was on and things like that. Um, so we went back and again in 2018, we did another, tried it again. And that way, that time we were successful. So they retrieved two mature eggs, but out of the two, only one fertilized into an embryo. And at the time that doctor wanted me to do a fresh embryo transfer. So we did, um, and we weren't successful. And then back in 2019, we saw a different doctor and with that doctor, there was a different, whole different uh, protocol that she developed um, with different medications. She wanted me to go, she wanted me to be on Gonal F. And there was another medication, I can't remember at the top of my head, that she wanted me to go on. Was it Menopure by chance? Yes, that's it. Thank okay. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was on those. And then we retrieved 10 mature eggs, and, but unfortunately only one fertilized. 
which is okay. Which was, I was, I was like, we have one. We just need one. <laughs> so we had one that fertilized um, that grew, and then we did. We decided to do a, fr- a frozen transfer, uh, which she suggested would be better. Um, so I, we were perfectly fine with it. Uh, so we waited. Uh, we did our our transfer in May of 2019, um, and that's when we found out that we were pregnant. And then a couple of days after my my uh, blood test, uh, the nurse calls me back, telling me that my numbers have dropped significantly, and it looks like I'd be, I'm having a miscarriage, a very early miscarriage. That was in 2019, and then in 2020, we went to a new doctor, a different clinic, and a whole different procedure. Um, he developed. Um, he, I was on gonalef, but a very, very high dose of gonal gonalef. And with that, I had a lot of, a lot more um, matured um, eggs. Um, they, so they retrieved, uh, they retrieved 15 out of the 15, um, seven, sorry, they retrieved seven, seven eggs out of the 15, seven were matured, <clears throat> uh, two, two fertilized, but only one continued um, growing. The second one stopped developing at day three. Um, and then my sec, um, yeah, sorry, the second one. Um, was uh, stopped growing at day three, and then my other one continued. So then we did, he suggested for us to do a fresh transfer, so we went with it. Um, So we did a a fresh um, embryo transfer. So that one ended up not being successful, as we know. That's just such a long journey. I mean, I feel like you've been through, first of all, literally every treatment that you could possibly try at this point. Yeah. So I just, I give you so much applause for how you know just how much you've been through and and you still are in as far as I can see you know great spirits about it you know and um I mean that's just such a long journey I feel like I've been on a long journey but I mean here you are all of this stuff and you you still seem very hopeful which is great because you have to have that sort of mindset you know so you mentioned um, that during an IVF round in 2019, you got pregnant and then eventually miscarried. So can you just tell us what that was like for you? Sure. Um, that was probably, that was one of the hardest days for me when I got the call from the nurse to tell me that my numbers weren't, my numbers dropped a lot and that I was miscarrying. Um, I felt like my dream of becoming a mom was just crashing and I was like, oh my gosh, I had like, is this, the, is the, is like, is it ever going to happen again? And then you start going through all these scenarios, you play all these scenarios in your head. And I was playing all these scenarios in my head. And, but the worst part for me was having to come home and tell my husband that we're not pregnant anymore because a couple of days ago, I told him that we were, and his face like lit up and I will never like that pic, like his expression of his face and his emotion, like is literally planted in, in my head. I will never forget like his reaction, the excitement that he, like he was so excited when I told him and to come home a couple of days later to tell him, unfortunately, like they're saying that it, we're going to miss, like we're going to miscarry. It like, it just, it, I, I, it broke me completely. Yeah. And, yeah. um, that was like one of the hardest, um, that was very, yeah, that was one of the hardest days, um, in month actually for me having to realize that I wasn't going to be a mom anymore. Um, a lot of times I felt, I just cried a lot. Some days I would be happy. Other, some days I would just, on my way home from work, I'd just cry in the car. And I, some days I just wanted to be alone. I didn't, didn't want to talk to anyone. 
Um, I just wanted, it's, I felt like I just needed time to grieve. Like I needed time for myself to accept what was happening to my body. And the worst part for me was that I had, I miscarried because I had to, I was on um, progesterone. Um, so when they told me I had to stop taking it there, they said like, that's when you'll pass. And the worst part was I was at work when that happened. So I wasn't even able to like process it or even like give myself that time because I was at work um, and it was like right at the end of the day and I was trying to put on a brave face at work and I just wanted to go home because I just wanted to like cry because I'm like I just lost my baby but I couldn't share that with anyone because I just needed time for me um, that, that day was very very difficult for me the more I I talked about it uh, when sorry when my husband and I decided to let our family our family know our, our parents and our siblings know um, that was hard for me too, because I know they were waiting for this moment for us too. Um, so when we told them that we were pregnant, but unfortunately miscarried, that was hard for that was hard as well for both of us to see our family's expressions when we had to let them know. But you know they were so supportive and told us like we're here for you if you need anything, if you want to talk, we have a listening ear. If you want to show the crying, we're here. So that was comforting to me. And then the more I talked about my miscarriage with other women or even some of like some of my friends from work to realize that they also miscarried, it it gave me comfort, all these emotions that I'm going through. And they're all like, oh, absolutely. So it felt nice to have a sense of almost like a sense of a community with other women. So the more I talked about it, the more I found myself healing and grieving the loss of my child. But one thing that really, really... um, helped me was that I wrote a letter to my baby and I wrote my letter to my baby and I just said how much I love them and how much I was looking forward to meeting them and how they were going to change the world. Um, and in the letter I mentioned, um, mommy's not saying goodbye to you. Mommy's going to see you soon. One day mommy will see you. Um, and just knowing that, that I have an angel <laughs> in heaven watching down on me, trying not to get emotional. Oh, you're making me get emotional. I'm like, okay, don't make me cry here. <laughs> Yeah, so just knowing that I have my angel watching over me brings me comfort. And just to know that that I was able to be pregnant or to feel that I was a mom for even if it was a short period of time, it that that brought me comfort. And my husband and I, what we do is every Mother's Day and Father's Day, just between the two of us, we do something special for one for one another. Because regardless that we need to have our child with us physically, we do have a child in heaven. And we should still honor that time that we were a mom and a dad for even if it was a short period of time. I like that a lot. Um, that's super helpful, I think, because, um, you know, one thing I'm always trying to think of is to help other women struggling to make them feel important or not like make Mother's Day feel like such a sad day. So that's a really great tip of advice of just making it special in some way for each of you, because it is such a hard day for people, even if they... Um, you know, even if they do have children but have miscarried, that still probably weighs on them, you know. And but especially for people struggling with infertility, I just feel like it's it's a hard day. So that's a really great idea to kind of make make a day that could be difficult into something a little bit more special. Yeah. And it's just and it's just something we like just mean like we just do it together, just the two of us. Um and it's nice too because we get to celebrate with just one another. And again, that time, it's just for us. 
Um, and when we, when we celebrate our child, even though he, he or she is not with us. So what advice would you give to someone who has miscarried? Um, if I said I would give to someone that miscarried is just take as much time as you need to grieve your loss. It could take a month. It could take a year. But just give yourself that time. Don't let anyone tell you how to grieve because every person grieves differently. My grief was different. My grief would be different than your grief. Um, so just don't let that, don't let anyone to tell you how to grieve. Um, another advice I would say is to be there for your spouse and for each other um, because you both lost a baby um, and you guys are both grieving and you could just need to give your each other time to process those feelings and those emotions, but to also honor one, uh, honor one another. Another advice I would say is not to blame yourself because I know a lot of time for, for me, I can say I was at the beginning, I was blaming myself. Did I do something wrong? Did I, maybe I shouldn't have did that ex- exercise. Maybe I shouldn't have went to work that day, or maybe I should have just stayed, you know, laid on the couch more. And so you play all these scenarios in your head, but you can't blame yourself. And to give yourself a break, um, to let your body heal physically, mentally, and emotionally, because it, it's it, it, it's a lot, and it can be a lot when going through, you know, if you're going through infertility, you know, treatments, or if you miscarried naturally on your own, right? Your body went through a lot, so giving yourself some time to heal is is okay too, and that time can take as much time as you need as well. Yeah. I agree with all of that. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, (laughs) After going through all of these procedures, how have you personally been able to keep so strong and keep pushing forward? Um, I rely a lot on my faith and trust in God. Um, I don't let the the procedures, the treatments, or the journey consume my life. Um, Because at the beginning when we were going through it, I felt that that's what I was doing. My life just revolved around the fertility clinic, blood work early in the morning, you know, ultrasounds, this, that. And that's all I was always thinking about. And I got to a point where I was like, no, like I want, I have a life. I want to enjoy it. I don't want it. Just my main focus is this. So yeah, I just, I had to shift my perspective and just not let all the procedures, treatments, everything consume me. I just traveled a lot. Remember to have fun and be a kid. I remember, and I just remind myself of all the things that I'm grateful for, um, all my blessings that I have in my life and the opportunities that I am able to be, you know, a godmother or we're able to be godparents to um, four or five actually now um, uh, godchildren. And it's like, wow, like that's a blessing. That's not something I ever thought I would have five, you know, godchildren. And, and I'm on this journey and I just remind myself that I'm on this journey. I truly believe is to help and support other women that are battling with infertility, to know that they're not alone um, um, and that that they can always turn to other women to speak about it, to have more awareness of it. And it's okay to talk about it um, and not to be ashamed of it because it doesn't define, yeah. I've, I've, I've realized that it doesn't define me. It doesn't define my worth. It doesn't define who I am. If anything, it's, in, it's empowered me to speak up more, um, be confident, in this journey and to be there for other people, either couples or women that are, are struggling. Yeah, I I feel like um, what you were saying about not letting it consume your life, because I was guilty of that during my, especially during my first round, but I think even during my second, 
and then you kind of sort of lose touch with yourself you kind of disconnect with yourself you forget that you're a human and that you're having an experience you're not the this like science project that you feel you kind of have that disconnect so it's important to go into it remembering that i'm going i'm going through this this is not hap- this is happening to me this isn't you know all of me basically is what i'm trying to say um so it's it's good to go into it with that mindset of like this is just something i'm doing it's just another thing a part of my day but it is not my entire day and it's not my entire life yeah i think that's so important so where exactly are you now on your fertility journey uh so right now we decided to take a break um from all the fertility treatments and everything and kind of just i'm trying we're both just giving our bodies a break because we've gone through it for so long um and i and the fact that we've seen a, this is the sixth doctor we've seen um, and that they've now come to realize that it could be the quality of my eggs that I am just um, taking the supplements that's been that he asked me to take back in April 2020. And um, we're just going to kind of give our time, just give ourselves a little bit of a break. Um, but we're also um, in the process of waiting uh, for adoption, too. Oh, OK. Wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. How can you walk us through sort of what that's been like for you too because um i do think i don't know how it is in every country but i know at least in the u.s it is a much more difficult process than people believe it to be and so therefore people say well if you're struggling with infertility why don't you just adopt as if it's like going to the animal shelter and picking up a dog and it's like it's so much more than that so if you could maybe just give us a little bit of a taste of what that process is like sure um so we decided we've always said to like we've always wanted children and we always said that one day we would we would love to adopt um before we ever knew that we were going to go through this journey of infertility and so over over the years us of struggling and not be able to conceive we then decided you know maybe this is this is our opportunity to look into maybe adopting um he's like even if we adopt um, and we get pregnant naturally, that's perfect. That's great. We have our family. So, um, so in Canada, you have to take a course, um, which is called, which is, it's P-R-I-D-E. Um, and we got it. You have to do that first. Um, and so that we do, so we did the course back in 2018. Yes, we did in 2018 and there's a wait list. So we waited almost a year and a half to get on to start the course because there's a high demand. Um, and because we are looking to adopt either an infant to about a toddler we're looking into. Um, so because we're looking for more younger, we're pushed back on the wait list, um, which is, which is understandable because there's, you know, there's a lot more children that need a, a home, a forever home um, that are a bit older. So, uh, so yeah, so we started the course back in 2018. The course is about six months in length and you attend it once a week and you both, you and your partner have to attend. Um, and then from there, they give you a certification saying that you've completed the course. Um, after the course is completed, they, there's a package that they give you with all, there's a whole bunch of forms and in the forms there is like your financial situation. So they want you to break down financially, um, um, how you are, how, like, what are your monthly expenses? 
Um, there's another form about your health that your doctor has to fill out to say that you're both healthy. Um, then there is a, um, another form that you would have to get references. So I would have to get references. My husband would have to get references from family or friends. They would have to write out a letter to uh, the Children's Aid Society. Um, and then they receive that. Um, and then from there, they collect all of this. They put it in a file. Um, and then there's a home study. A home study is once we get a practitioner, an adoption practitioner worker assigned to us, that's when they would come into the home. They would evaluate our home. They would interview my husband and I together and also separately. Um, and then they would actually interview our parents as well, um, just to see how um, we are as a couple, um, how we were as children growing up. Um, um, and because we struggled with infertility, um, they would question us about that. Meaning not question, more questioning of like, how did that journey affect you in your marriage or how did it affect you individually? Um, so that's like the process. So right now we are waiting for our home study. So it's been about, uh, three, almost three years now. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's so, such a long journey and I feel like people don't understand like it's not just you know I decide to adopt and you get a baby you know it, there's this whole process and then also what I wondered is if you don't mind sharing if if not let me know but what is the cost for you to do all of that so because we're going through the children's aid society um it's not costing us anything but we did look into adopting privately and privately that would cost us up to roughly between twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what when we were weighing out um, if we were going to go because I was very against doing IVF at first just because I it's not guaranteed, and I was like, this is so much money to put towards something that isn't a guarantee. I mean, adoption isn't always either. When you get to the end of the road, it, things fall through and all that. But um, what made our decision was that we didn't realize how adoption could cost almost $30,000 where we are and and then come to find out IVF was covered with our insurance. So that made our decision. Had adoption been of more affordable, we probably would have went down that route first, but we really just did it based on finances, which is really unfortunate. It's unfortunate that adoption is so expensive where we are, but that's sort of, you know, just what it is. And it is, it is very expensive. Same with us because we too were on the fence with IVF at the beginning as well. Like I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. My husband wasn't sure either because again, like you said, it's not a guarantee. It's that 50-50 chance you're taking. And for us in Canada, we get a government grant, but you're only able to apply for that once. And then after the government grant, you have to pay for it out of your own pocket. The only thing that's covered is your medication, which medication is very expensive. So we were very blessed and lucky that we were able to have that covered both under mine and my husband's insurance but again the the other two rounds we had to pay for and it can be financially it is a struggle and it's, it can become a lot um so that's when we again we were debating like should we do private should we just you know go through children's aid and that's when we said you know what let's let's try ivf again on our own and if not then we'll, let's just go with children's aid and just see what happens from there well, I'm glad that you have the option to do something like that because honestly, like I'd, pro I'd probably do the same thing, you know, um, because yeah, ultimately if the goal is to have a family, then you're going to do whatever you're going to do to get that. 
So I'm glad that that's something that you're able to do. So you already mentioned to me the treatment you're giving for egg quality. Um, How are you feeling going into the next cycle? I have like kind of like mixed emotions. I don't know where, uh, like what I want to do in my next cycle, like with proceed with IVF, right? With like, if I'm going to continue or anything, I don't know where I am. A part of me is saying, yes, (laughs) let's do it one more time. And then another part of me is like, you've gone through so much and you've healed from all of the pain and um, the heartache that you had to go through. So I'm kind of on the fence, like a part, one part saying, yes, go ahead and do it. Let's give it one more try. And then other parts and like, but you're done. I don't know if you can do it anymore. So I'm on the fence uh, right now, um, but I'm not closing that door. Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly how you feel. I feel like um, once you go through, especially after you've had a loss from going through all of that, um, not only a loss, but just like failed cycles even, there's so much that you're like, I just don't know if I have it in me to do that again, you know? So you have to be in that sweet spot of, all right, let's just, let's just do it. Because once you're in it, you're like, you're going full force, you know? So it's like, you got to really want to do it. Because if you're not ready, I feel like it's just too much emotionally, physically. So you have to sort of be in that mindset of like, okay, I can do this. I can handle this. Let's go. So true. So you've also created a platform uh, to help support women. So I'd love for you to talk more about that because I, I really love your page and I love the things that you're doing on that. So I'd love, first of all, if you could tell everybody where they can find you and then sort of give them an, an idea of what you're doing. Sure. Um, so I started uh, a social media platform on Instagram and on Facebook. So you can find me on Instagram at findingyou.itm. Um, and on Facebook, you can find me under Tammy Rusko. Um, I created the platform to help and provide guidance to women struggling with infertility, anxiety, um, and stress, um, because I personally understand it firsthand. Um, and just being, yeah, I just, I, I get it. I understand it firsthand. Um, either, you know, struggling with infertility, anxiety, or stress can sometimes you can lose yourself in that. Yeah. You could, you could just, you can lose yourself in that. And I just wanted to, I wanted a platform where I could provide some guidance in finding, um, balance and finding your authentic self, because I feel that going through this journey, battling with infertility, um, you know, anxiety or stress, you lose yourself. And I wanted a platform where I can provide that guidance and that help for women to find themselves again and to know it's a space where it's safe. You know, it's a a space that is, you know, safe and welcoming and loving. Yeah. And I feel like you do a lot of like, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you have morning routines or some, yeah, you had morning routines on there. Um, You have a lot of uh, self-love tips and just things that feel very positive. It's not a space that is necessarily, I would say, focused on your infertility specifically, but it's what you said, it's focused on you and how to keep yourself, how to love yourself, how to keep a positive mindset. And I really, I like that. So hopefully um, people will find that very helpful. It's just a nice little bright thing to have pop up on your social media feed. 
Yeah, I wanted I like a lot, like you said, like a lot of my posts focus a lot on tips and suggestions on how to manage like anxiety, stress, fears, our thoughts can <laughs> really control us sometimes. Um, and just learning to just reminding ourselves to be in the present, like to be here in the now and just to love yourself. Um, I know uh, I do also post, like you mentioned, I'll, I'll do a lot, I do, do post a lot of like affirmations. Um, a little bit like you mentioned, like my morning routine. Um, I did post a couple of meditations just recently um, with how to deal with some, with stress um, and anxiety. And using the social platform, I wanted I wanted to take everything that I learned and experienced to help others. And with that, I wanted to help women, like again, like with fertility or anxiety or stress and finding themselves in that balance in their life. Do you have any tips of advice for someone who is going through infertility currently? Yeah, my tip and advice for someone struggling with infertility would be not to give up. Um, keep your eye on your dream. Um, if you believe it, see it, feel it. That's like my motto. Um, have faith. Um, trust Trust in the process. Trust the universe. Trust the divine plan that is out there for you. Um, listen to your body and be your, like, be your advocate. <laughs> I really believe you got to advocate for yourself. Um, give yourself those breaks in between treatments. Um, remember to always have fun to travel if it's local or leaving the country, um, you know, joining either a support group or, you know, creating a community with other women that you know of that are also struggling, um, because then you're able to support one another and you can turn to each other. Um, and another one is just, um, not, not to be afraid to celebrate your small achievements and the, and the wins during the whole process. Um, cause I feel it's like, that's really important. And, um, most of all, just to remember to love yourself and not to let your infertility define who you are, because regardless, you're you, like your infertility doesn't define who you are. I, yeah, those are all really great pieces of advice. So thank you so much for coming on. I really did appreciate it. I, I love, I, I didn't know that you were going through the adoption process. So I love that you were able to speak on that more. I think that that's something that uh, needs to be talked about in, in this whole journey, just not only to let women who are struggling know exactly what the process might be like for them, but then also those who don't understand, kind of get an idea of, oh, this is why people don't um, choose adoption right away. It's not because they don't want to adopt, it's because it is such a process. So having you explain that is really, really helpful. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, you guys, I hope you enjoyed Tammy's incredible story about her 10-year journey with infertility. I'm so glad to learn more a little bit about the adoption process. Hopefully that was helpful for you guys listening out there. And if you guys are interested in following her page, she shares so many different self-love affirmations, different ideas on how to take care of yourself, meditations, everything in between that you can find her on instagram at finding you dot by tam that's t-a-m and as always if you guys are interested in being a guest on a future episode of the podcast you can email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and i will see you guys in the next episode